Welcome to the 25th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of our podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, the NBA weekend review, and we'll talk in-depth about the NCAA tournament bracket. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start with the NBA. The 76ers beat the Wizards 127-101, with Patrick correctly picking the 76ers. The Lakers beat the Pacers 105-100, with Patrick correctly picking the Lakers. The Mavericks beat the Nuggets 116-103, with Patrick incorrectly picking the Nuggets. And the Warriors beat the Jazz 131-119, with Patrick incorrectly picking the Jazz, meaning Patrick went 2-2 in his NBA basketball predictions. Patrick's other predictions were limited not to picking individual games, but actually picking the winners of some uh, conference tournaments in college basketball. He picked 9 out of 20 tournaments correctly, but that was with uh, tournaments even at the semifinals or earlier at the time of his prediction. So uh, 9 out of 20, not bad, considering he was picking from four or more teams to to be the one winning team there. Uh, So Patrick was overall this week uh, 2-2 in his individual games he picked, bringing him to 74-39 and overall in the season. Uh, very, very respectable 655 winning percentage of the season. Patrick, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I thought I did pretty well with the conference tournaments. No, I'm not going to stop picking the Jazz. I'm going to pick them until they win a game because when you win 30 games, there's no way that I'm going to end up picking half of their losses. If I do, I'll honestly, I, I will accept that. I will take all of their losses and uh, be okay with that. Uh, overall, I thought I did pretty well in the conference tournaments too. Uh, some some different circumstances that affected it, such as uh, I thought Kansas was going to be playing and beating Texas. Uh, instead, they were literally out of the tournament because of COVID. Uh, Isaiah Livers got injured the day after I put my prediction in for Michigan. So a lot of different circumstances that I couldn't have seen, and that's why I didn't. That's why we didn't do the record of this because also some teams won one game and then lost, and it's too much to track. Um, there were too many circumstances for it to be judged individually, but I think overall I did pretty well, picking nearly fifty percent. Yeah, and you didn't all you didn't pick all one seeds, and you had a few lower than one seeds that you could. I had a few. I had a few two seeds in conferences that nobody's ever heard of, so I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe the Jazz uh, will will start begging you not to pick them anymore because you seem to be their jinx. But uh, maybe I should pick them to win the finals because <laughs> <laughs> you don't want them to. <laughs> all right. Well, Pat, as always, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday at 4thand24.com. Let's move to a recap of last week's NBA action, the first week of action after the All-Star break, so action limited uh, more so than normal. Let's go back to uh, picking your most impressive teams of the week, starting with your most impressive team. I gave it to the 76ers, and if anybody knows, Embiid got injured in the game against the Wizards. Uh, so the fact of the matter is them going 3-0, regardless of the competition, is pretty good. They beat the Bulls without having Embiid or Simmons, who both missed the All-Star break due to COVID contact tracing. They beat the Wizards with no Simmons and then Embiid getting injured in the middle of the game. And they beat the Spurs without Embiid. So pretty good week on the on, on, on the whole for the Sixers. All right, number two. The Brooklyn Nets, they beat the Celtics and the Pistons. Uh, this week, you know, there's not, there's not that many big marquee matchups to pick from. Uh, most teams played two, one or two games only. I think the Lakers only played one one game, or they played two. 
Uh, so these records are not going to be like the normal where we have some teams going 4-0 and and 3-1 and but playing a lot of good teams. Right after the All-Star breaks a little bit of a dry week. So even the Celtics, just beating the Celtics and the Pistons is enough. But I, would, I was really impressed with how Kyrie kind of took the charge in one game against the Celtics and James Harden took the charge in the next against the Pistons. Overall, the Nets are playing really well as a team right now. All right, and your number three most impressive team. I gave it to the Charlotte Hornets because I don't think I've given them enough credit. I think I've been a little unfair there. Um, they are in sixth in the Eastern Conference, albeit it is the Eastern Conference, but they are easily in playoff position, and it looks like they constructed the roster just well enough for them to be a mid-level contender in, in the East. They beat the Pistons and the Raptors this week. Of course, obviously, the Pist- beating the Pistons doesn't mean much. Uh, but beating the Raptors was a good win because I thought that the Raptors would try to kind of assert themselves over a team that's similar in a similar uh, place in the standings to them. All right, then let's move to the flip side of the coin. The most disappointing teams of the week, and I'm sure uh, I could probably guess who number one is, not just the most disappointing team of the week, but a uh, much longer stretch than that. Who do you got? Houston Rockets, 0-3, 16-game losing streak. Shouldn't even have to say who they lose to, but I will. They lost the Kings, the Jazz, and the Celtics. Uh, the Celtics went on a 34-8 run in this game, almost some college. I mean, it, it really, I haven't seen that big of a run in an NBA game in a very long time. Uh, it literally it reminded me a lot of Georgetown, what they did to Creighton when they were both tied at 16 and then ended up at the half up 34 to 16. So um, it's just crazy how bad the Rockets have been, not even just recently. 16 games is a long time, pretty much in the last month and a half. It's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, they may be the exception to the rule in the NBA that everybody makes a run during a game. Yeah, they were supposed, I mean, also they were 11 and 10 before this win streak. So they were in. Play-in play game potential. Losing streak. You said win streak. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> they were in play-in game potential, and now they're in Cade Cunningham sweepstakes potential. So Ugly. Very ugly. All right, let's move to your uh, second most disappointing team of the week. Uh, I gave it to the Toronto Raptors. They went 0-3. They lost to the Hawks, the Hornets, and the Bulls. And the reason why is because, look, if they're not going to, if they're not going to beat these teams, they're not going to get into the playoffs. And that would be a big disappointment for the Raptors this year after that heartbreaking loss in the Game 7 in the Eastern Conference semis last year. And they really could have made a run. I mean, a lot of people would tell you that, considering that the Heat made it, maybe the Raptors could have beaten the Heat. Who knows? I would say that most people don't think that the Heat are more talented than any of the teams they beat in the playoffs, excluding their first-round matchup. So I think Raptors fans overall really disappointed. Can't even see their team. They're not even still playing in Canada this year, so... Overall, just a disappointing week and season for them so far. And your most disappointing team, of the, the third most disappointing team of the week. I give it to the Cleveland Cavaliers. They were 0-2. They lost the Pelicans and the Hawks. Uh, again, there weren't that many teams this week, so if you lost, if you won one game this week, you pretty much avoided this list because everybody, if you won one game, you probably went 1-1, one and, one, and that's not enough for me to call you disappointing. Uh, looking at you, Lakers. Um, but the Cavaliers, it's just really weird how hot and cold this team gets. They were on a huge losing streak. I think they lost eight in a row. Then they won four in a row right before the All-Star break, and then they lost one game, and now they've lost two more right after. So I thought that maybe they could use the All-Star break as kind of a reset point to maybe get some consistency, but they clearly have not done that. All right, and as always with our NBA recap, we end on a positive note. Who was your player of the week? I gave it to Jimmy Butler. Uh, 28 points per game, six rebounds per game, nine and nine and a half assists, and four steals per game. He's played the Heat all the way up to the four seed in the East right now, 
And look, the Heat have been so good with him on the court, and without him, the team just does not look the same at all. I think before he came back from his injuries, uh, they were sitting at maybe 13th or 14th in the East, and now they've gone all the way up to 4th with him. They are playing very well. They are back in the form that we saw them last year at the end of the year, although they have some harder competition considering that the Nets are now, you know, have two extra All-Stars and MVPs on their team. Well, that wraps up our look back at last week's NBA action. Let's turn our attention to the NCAA tournament in the men's bracket. Uh, the last podcast, we previewed we previewed some of Patrick's unique NCAA tournament bracket prediction styles uh, that he likes to employ. Since the brackets have now formally come out, and by the way, kudos to you, picking 67 of the 68 teams in the field, same as ESPN's famed bracketologist Joe Lenardi. Uh, well, since those brackets came out and Patrick took a look at them, he's decided to broaden the experiment a little bit. So we want to revisit that discussion with a few new bracket styles and then uh, take a look at how those bracket styles applied to the brackets themselves and what the results were based on Patrick applying them, as well as just a general discussion of the NCAA tournament and the bracket itself. So Patrick, first, um, what new bracket styles did you come up with since we last had this discussion? So we did a lot of uh, metrics. We used Ken Palm as one metric. Um, Speaking of Ken Palm, one of the things that I did is I wanted to see if I, instead of doing just the combined efficiency of every team, the net efficiency, I wanted to see if I made an all-offensive bracket and an all-defensive bracket, who would come out on top. Uh, let's just say the offensive one is going to win because the defensive one has Loyola Chicago winning it all. Uh, so <laughs> that, could, But it also could be a second-round exit or yeah. a first-round exit. And I think it's a little more likely that the offensive leader, a.k.a. Gonzaga, probably wins the bracket. The other thing we did was comparing the two, the two, the one that used to rule everything, the BPI, uh, that used to be the NCAA's main, the committee's main uh, general team evaluating ranking system versus the net, which is their newer ranking system. So we'll see how that comes out. Uh, they're, they're pretty much, they're, they're very, very close to each other in terms of who is in and who wins. So, All right, well, let's turn to that. So who wins in each of these uh, bracket predicting methodologies? So in each of them, in my subjective picks, you have Michigan because, as I've said, uh, I've never picked against Michigan winning unless they are lower than, I think, a seven seed ever since I've been, like, five years old. <laughs> right. Okay. So, or the Final Four. So exactly. I had them probably at least in the Sweet 16 every other year <laughs> than that. Um, so that's my subjective picks. Again, I'll die by the ship. Don't really care. Uh, objective picks. I have Illinois and then every single metric that I did has Gonzaga winning except for that old, for that defensive one, which has loyal Chicago winning. And for my upset bracket, if you look at how the math works, since I said that I would pick an upset in half or more than half of the games in every round, that meant that once you get to the championship game, there has to be a nine seed in the championship game or worse. So I'm putting my money on VCU, somehow deciding that they're going to step up and stop Luca Garza uh, after beating Oregon and then beating Iowa. And then I hope that Gonzaga slips up against them. <laughs> yeah, I think your I think your 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 has to be half upsets pick probably is going to fare the least. What about your, I, I'm curious, your random one came up with, uh, your random number generator also came up with Gonzaga? It actually did not, although it did have them getting all the way to the final four. But you know what? I thought the random number generator was going to turn out awfully, and I'm not going to lie, it might end up better than than a lot of the real um, advanced metrics. 
It, it actually had Gonzaga and Iowa in the Elite Eight, also Michigan and Alabama, Purdue and Arkansas. That one, that one's probably going to be wrong. But Illinois and Syracuse, look, if Syracuse, if there's any team to make a run from the 10 seeds, it would, from the 10 seeds or worse, it would probably be Syracuse. So I don't consider it doing too badly. Um, overall, I think the most important thing was that when I did it, it came up with higher seeded teams winning the majority of first round games with the exclusion of one region. And I picked that region to be the East region where Michigan is because there are a lot of teams there that really could lose. They, that that bracket has Georgetown in it. So that's a big upset that's possible. Uh, I think Texas can get really hot and cold. So I picked that one to be the upset one. Uh, but overall, you know, it has Alabama beating Illinois in the championship game, which is very fathomable. I would say this is not going to turn out as badly as I thought it will. And frankly, because it's a little bit off the walls and not knowing as much, and it's obviously completely random, I, I think a lot of times people who don't know anything about the bracket pick better than people who know everything about college basketball because the tournament is just that crazy. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's a random number generator, just so our, our audience is clear, in terms of whether how many favorites how many how many higher often. seeded teams win in each round in each region so and then it, i picked who who out of those teams it would so be so it's 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 randomly determining how many upsets you need to pick in each region at each stage and then you use your knowledge to pick the team so although i would say although i would say i would this is definitely off of what i would have picked i think i think in most of the regions i would have ended up with something that it ended up with in the south which is Five teams winning in five higher seeded teams winning in the first round in three upsets. Uh, all the lower seeded te- all the higher seeded teams winning in the round of 32. But then it's got Sweet 16 with both lower seeded teams winning, which is how I ended up with Purdue and Arkansas in the Elite Eight. So it's a li- it's it gets a little crazy. So it's definitely not like it's all my brain. It's definitely my brain forced to imply some knowledge on a lot of randomness. Yeah, and interestingly enough, it did. It, I think it it ended up telling you. It, not 50% of the time upsets, maybe one game less than 50% of the time in the first round. So Pretty you would much. think it would have come out 50-50, but it, in that random number generator, it actually came out a lot more picking favorites than, than upsets than you would have expected. Although it had a lot it had a lot of streaks of, of certain numbers, and I think that, I mean, I think there's there was a stretch where I think it came up with nine, nine lower seeds out of ten, and that led to the worst seed, the worst seed in the Final Four winning, uh, all the Sweet 16s having a lower seed winning, and then that region that I talked about where six lower seeded teams win the first round matchup. <laughs> all right, well, it'll be interesting to follow along with that one. So um, let's turn our, away from your uh, prediction styles as, as we'll, we'll, we'll check in with those periodically to see which ones are doing best over the course of the tournament in the next few weeks. What's your overall, what are your overall thoughts on the committee's seeding and, and who put in the who made the tournament, who didn't? I thought that everything was done very well with the exception of one team, but before I get to that team, I would say I'm very happy that Utah State is not in a play-in game, and I'm very happy that they put Wichita State in the tournament rather than Louisville. Um, I had Louisville in because I, I think the committee tends to favor major conference teams, but I don't know if they wanted to send a message this year or if they just evaluated it and felt that the, that those mid-majors were better. But Michigan State and UCLA being in a play-in game was also surprising to me. I didn't expect those two to be in a play-in and then Syracuse to be um, completely in a bye position and same as Utah State. It was a little surprising to me. Um, but I think surprising in a good way, and I think I'm very happy that they did that. I'm very happy that VCU got a 10 seed that I think they deserve. Uh, but I think the one team that they that I don't even think is a disagreement. I think the larger community thinks that it's just a literal error 
is that Oklahoma State is a four seed. This team is way better than a four seed. Um, I think I had them as the best three seed or maybe the second best three seed at the time of my last bracket. Uh, Jerry Palm had them as a two seed. Joe Lenardi has come out and said that he thought that Oklahoma State was much closer to a two seed than they were to a four seed, and I would have to agree with that. I would say that if they were anything that's not a three, it would be a two. I am very surprised that they ended up with West Virginia on the three line instead of Oklahoma State because if it, if it's a conference issue, I can I would say it's very easy for me to for you to just swap those two and just call it a day. Texas won the Big Twelve so over Oklahoma State, so I'm okay with them being a three. But uh, I don't I don't understand the Oklahoma State snub there. Yeah, I mean that's a universal comment that you've heard from everybody and. So who knows if they had to do it because of conference matchups or things like that. Maybe too many Big Ten teams um, have, causing them to have to try to get people dispersed. I don't know. Well, I think, th- I think the thing that I see is the fact that there is literally a Big 12 team as a three seed in their region that most people thought would get the four seed rather than them after losing that early in the conference tournament, which is West Virginia. Uh, after Oklahoma State beat them twice in a span of two weeks, once without Cade Cunningham, I think it is very clear that Oklahoma State is better than West Virginia. So that was my little, yeah. that was my one disagreement there. Uh, and I, if you look at it, the Big 12 has three three seeds, yep. Texas, Kansas, uh, West Virginia in that same region, and Oklahoma State is a four. So maybe there's just, for whatever reason, they decided amongst those teams, they had to knock them down one line. They didn't want to have... Four yeah, but I think teams. I think that's where the disagreement comes, though, is that everybody would say conclusively that West Virginia is the worst out of those four yeah, teams, so resume-wise. Because Kansas has the win over Baylor that kind of puts them in the middle. Texas won the Big 12 over Oklahoma State, so that puts them at the top. And then Oklahoma State has two wins over West Virginia, a close loss to, to Texas. So it's kind of a head-scratcher, honestly. They, clearly, there are two teams in the same But I would, I would want to get back to the fact that I really like, not, not that pick, but I really, really like what they did with Louisville. And I don't think Louisville, I had them in because I thought that their resume was just was good enough and very similar to Syracuse in that they both only had one win against Quad 1 and a bunch of losses, but at least they played those games. Uh, Louisville, if you ever saw it, they got destroyed twice off of COVID pauses. And I think that many people thought the committee would excuse teams for losing off of COVID pauses or losing by specific margins. But I think I think Michigan State, frankly, is in the last four in because their 30-point loss to Rutgers is very, very ugly. And they can't put Michigan State above Rutgers due to that loss. And I think the same thing happened to Louisville, that them losing by, I think they lost 85-48 to 48 to Wisconsin early in the season and they also lost by 50 to North Carolina. Look, you can't lose to 8-9 seeds by 30 and expect to be in the tournament. Uh, I just think that would that that kind of knocked them out, and I think that's a good thing. I think that it was a very good thing that the committee instead said, you know what, Wichita State losing one game by one point in the, in the, a- in the AAC tournament. They beat Houston. Every other game they lost was close and to a quad one team. They are not, they deserve to be in the tournament instead. And actually, speaking of one of those teams I just mentioned, the only other tiny seed that I would be, that I, I don't consider it an error, but I was a little surprised by, I don't think Wisconsin was as low as a nine. I think I had them as the worst six or maybe one of the better sevens. But overall, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with it to the level that I do with Oklahoma State because Wisconsin did have 12 losses. But I think it was just that every single loss they had was a quality loss. So people were just assuming that they had enough good wins they just played literally the hardest, one of the hardest schedules in the country, 
and that's just what ended up happening to them. But you know what? The, I think that I think I see the reasoning there. Yeah, well, that'll be a compelling first round matchup against North Carolina, another name brand team that didn't have the best season. So the two of them will get a chance to uh, see whether they deserve the higher seed. Um, you did mention Louisville really quickly. They're out of the tournament, but they're sitting there as the first team to come in if another team has a COVID pause. And they could also replace Virginia and make that and make it same same conference too, which they are planning to do on the one bid leagues. They have a very confusing policy on uh, <laughs> who joins the tournament, but that's a different. And interestingly story. enough, and then we'll move on. Louisville, being the first replacement team for the NCAA tournament, has decided that. They would normally be the number one seed in the NIT. They are not going to play in the NIT. Yep. They're going to sit around. Well, not sit around. They're going to practice and hope that they get a backdoor entry to the NCAA tournament. I think that's smart because I think they might be, I think their players might might have a letdown if they played in the NIT. They would probably lose in the first round considering that it's only 16 teams this year. They would probably lose in the first round to a team that's looking to prove that they should have been in it rather than because they would have been disappointed that they miss it. So I think it's a very good decision. All right, let's move on. What do you think is the easiest region? I think it's Gonzaga's. I think it's not even close. I think, especially when you talk about the COVID issues that might happen with Kansas and Virginia, you basically have, let's say that Kansas, hope this doesn't happen, but on a hypothetical, Kansas and Virginia, in worst case scenario, get replaced by Louisville and I think St. Louis or Colorado State. I forget which one it is out of those two. That would mean that you have those two as three and four seeds. Iowa is your two seed. And other than that, I don't see any threats to them. I mean, Creighton as a five seed just got beaten really badly by a Georgetown team that, look, Georgetown had a great surge at the end of the season, but if, if you look at how bad Creighton shot in that game, only scoring 48 points, they are not, they do not have any momentum whatsoever coming into the tournament. I, I really think it's possible that they they that Gonzaga also has the weakest eight nine matchup too. When you look at how teams were playing at the end of the year, Oklahoma Missouri Missouri had lost a bunch of games in a row. Oklahoma or Oklahoma had lost a bunch a bunch of games in a row, and then only beat Iowa State in the Big Twelve tournament. And then Missouri had lost many games out of a few. I mean, they won a few in there. I guess they're playing a little bit better. It looks like in the SEC tournament, but I would much rather play Oklahoma than North Carolina, Loyal Chicago, or LSU, and I'd much rather play Missouri than Bonaventure, Georgia Tech, the ACC champions, or Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, you look at this bracket, and there's a ton of teams there with no momentum. Like, you mentioned some, and then USC, they fell flat on their face in the right. Pac-12 tournament. At the end of the year, they collapsed. You've got Oregon, who really is just kind of... Who lost to Oregon State at the end of the year, too, yeah. I mean, really, Iowa's the only team in that bracket. Even if Kansas and Virginia play, they've, they've, they're in isolation. They've lost players. They haven't been able to pry. They're going to get... Virginia's going to get and, there and the day Kansas, before the tournament, Kansas, right? if we... So, Virginia, as you said, is getting there the day before the tournament. And also, Kansas, um, they have said that they're going to be without three players. And if you use logic there, they had two players out who we know who they were. Before the Big 12 tournament and one positive that took them out, two plus one is three, that you're looking at missing your starting center, you're looking at missing a backup forward, and then another player that we don't know. Uh, maybe they would join by the Sweet 16. I would assume they would because that's two and a half weeks later for the first two players, maybe not the third player who we don't know who it is. But if if Kansas doesn't have David McCormick, they can't beat USC either. And that would probably allow USC to be in a matchup with Iowa in the Sweet 16, I don't think I think Iowa would get a little too cocky, honestly. If they if they then went to play Gonzaga, I don't think they'd be able to hang with them at that point. Yeah, I agree with you on, uh, with respect to that region. So there's your easiest region. What's your most chaotic region? Region putting aside 
what we just talked about with Virginia and Kansas, the COVID, just with the teams that are actually there, what do you think the most chaotic region is? I'm going back to the same region. Oh, okay. I think <laughs> I think the reason why I would say that is because if you look at all these teams, there are a lot of teams. Uh, I'll use Michigan's region as an example. Bonaventure won their conference. Texas won their conference. Alabama won their conference. Iona's even coached by Rick Pitino. Um UConn made it to the semifinals. Maryland, Maryland bowed out to Michigan, but they got a big win over Mar- over Michigan State that I think was a big confidence booster. Michigan State's playing really well at the end of the year. BYU barely lost to, to Gonzaga. Florida State's a runner-up. The list goes on and on. Every single one in Michigan's bracket either it made it to the semifinals. But on the other hand, you have this bracket where you have Virginia, who barely beat Syracuse on a buzzer beater, and then pulled out of the tournament due to COVID. You have Kansas, who pulled out of the tournament due to COVID. You have Creighton, who lost to Georgetown by 25. And then you have the 12 seeds and the 13 seeds, who they look like they could easily beat the fives and the fours, even if they're not replacement teams there. Uh, UCSB, I think, is the region why this region can get chaotic. Uh, There's a stat that we're going to get to next or or soon about double-digit seeds. They could make the Sweet 16. Uh, I think they easily could. I especially think they could because I think Ohio could beat Virginia, and I think you could see, I forget who was in that region two years ago, but there was a scenario where UC Irvine beat Oregon and Murray State beat Marquette, and you ended up with a 12 and a 13 in the round of 32, and you had to have a double-digit seed in the Sweet 16. I easily think that could happen in the same fashion in this region, and also not to mention UCSB's from the same conference as UC Irvine. (laughs) As a little bit of an omen. All right, well, what's the most wide-open region? It's got to be Michigan's region, and honestly, it's because Michigan's at the top. Look, there's no disputing that the overall body of work means that Michigan is easily a better candidate for one seed than anybody else who you could have put there. But without Isaiah Livers, we just don't know how good this team is. We have one game to measure it off of, one game and a half, you could say. Um, Overall, I think Michigan, without Isaiah Livers, is still as good as like a two or a three seed. Um, and maybe even the worst one, it's possible. But if you look at this region, I mean, LSU could get hot. They could get on a run with just pure shooting, as we've seen some teams do in the tournament. They remind me a little bit of Auburn when they made their run to the Final Four from the five seed in the last tournament, where they just shot. I think they hit, I think they took 45 threes against Kansas and made 20 of them, and that was just enough that they made so many threes that they ended up blowing out Kansas. They scored like 90 points. Uh... You got Georgetown, who might bust the bracket if they keep playing this well. You got Florida State, who's kind of a wild card. They keep going on hot streaks, and then they keep losing right after a bunch of games, maybe that they shouldn't. Uh, and they haven't looked good off of pauses. They, one pause they looked good off of, one pause they didn't. So you kind of got that hot and cold. Maybe they take a week off and they cool down. Michigan State, if they get in, could even make a run. BYU just played Gonzaga close. That region especially with those top seeds of Michigan, Texas, and Alabama, especially Michigan and Alabama. Um, I think Texas could easily walk into the Final Four in this region. I think Florida State could do the same. I think those two threes and one four matchups will be really good games if they get there. And if they don't get there, look, Colorado could make a run too. They could beat Florida State. And if they get if they beat Florida State, their confidence is going to be running high. Yeah, this region, I agree with you, especially with Michigan's injury. You look at this region, this is the one where you – easily could say pick one of 
four teams, the first four seeds, and then some other sleepers that could you could easily make a case for them making it to the Final Four. I call this the uh, football national championship region <laughs> with Michigan and LSU, Colorado 1-1, Florida State's won a bunch, BYU uh, 1-1, uh, UCLA. A school called won. Alabama. Michigan State, I haven't gotten there yet. I was going <laughs> to say the best for last. Michigan State, back in the day, won, won a couple national championships in the 60s, maybe the 50s. Texas, uh, and, and, then, and then, of course, Alabama. Right. I mean, this this... This region is full of football national championships. I just, I don't know. I, if I if I was uh, living in the South, I would be rooting against Alabama because those fans would just be insufferable. Um, but, but that's a totally separate topic. Let's uh, stick. Go back to basketball. Um, so here's a little interesting fact: a double-digit seed. You you previewed this a little earlier. A double-digit seed has reached the Sweet 16 every year since 2008, and also two double-digit seeds have reached the Sweet 16 in seven of the last ten tournaments. Who could be those teams this year? So I have my eyes on many, many teams. I think that Utah State could make the Sweet 16 because I think Arkansas could could look. They've been playing so well for so long that sometimes teams are just destined to kind of fall down at some point. And I think Arkansas could do that where they could go on a cold streak after they've had such a hot streak. Uh, I think Syracuse has been playing really well late in the season as one of those teams. I think Rutgers is a possible contender because they have the experience. They have the experience playing really good teams in the Big Ten. On the other side of the bracket, there's Maryland in the same situation as Rutgers, and Maryland has even look. Maryland's beaten Illinois. They were up on Michigan for most of the game in the first half, including a little bit in the second half in the Big Ten tournament. Maryland, Maryland could easily beat Alabama. Uh, Michigan State's been playing really well at the end of the season, and they would just have to go through BYU and Texas. Georgetown's been playing really well recently. There are a lot of contenders. Um, I think if I were to look out for one in specific, I think I'd have to go to UCSB just because they play Creighton, and I think the 5-12 is probably, other than the 7-10s, that that's the matchup that there's a lot of upsets in, but I also think that when you get into the 512 territory, you do play the weakest team possible in the round of 32 if everything went chalk. So I think that's probably the matchup that I would say because, uh, and especially because it is Virginia too, I think the cards have aligned really well in their favor that Creighton not playing incredibly well at the end of the season, uh, poor shooting night on the last game, and you got Virginia who could even lose in the first round, not getting there, as you said, until Friday. And Ohio could even beat Virginia, and then that would guarantee that if both the 12 and the 13 won, which I think is possible in that region, that would put a Sweet 16, that would put a double-digit seed in the Sweet 16. And I also think that when you look at it, the 512 is probably where you look for that kind of stuff because I think two seeds are so much above this, the 10s that if the 10s even get by the 7s, which is, is a questionable thing in the first place, they would have a hard time beating the twos, but I think Rutgers, if they could shoot well from the outside and go on a hot streak there, they could get on the streak too. Yeah, a lot of people are pointing to Michigan State UCLA winner knocking off the six seed. To your point, but then they'd have to face Texas. So right, really exactly. Like... So there, that's that's why I think it's it it goes back to UCSB there. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right, well, another fun fact: a five seed or worse has reached the final four in each of the last seven tournaments and in nine of the last ten tournaments. So who could be those five seeds or worse to get to the Final Four this year? 
So this year might be another one that breaks that trend. I think it will be because I've looked at these five seeds. I looked at this one for a long time, and it is very hard to find a team that I think is a real title contender. I mean, I just I just mentioned for about two or three minutes how Creighton would easily lose in the first round. Um, that's, that's one of your five seeds. Uh, Villanova does not have their star point guard. That's another five seed. Uh, Tennessee, I think, is the most intriguing. I think they're they have the best chance of that. And then I, I think Tennessee is the most the best chance of doing that off their own individual level. But I think that Colorado is the seed that I'm gonna look at because Colorado is a five seed. They are very, very talented. One of the things you look for in the tournaments that really favors a lot of teams is experienced guard play and good big men. Evan Batty is very, very talented, and McKinley Wright leads the Pac-12 in just about every single career stat among active players. Uh, they have the experience everywhere, and I think Colorado, if they can get past Georgetown, which again, this is the NCAA tournament, so we don't even know if that's going to happen, but if they can get past there and they're against Michigan in, in the Sweet 16 and Michigan doesn't get livers back by then, that would be a matchup that I would say they could really, they, they have a chance of winning. Uh, just matchup-wise, and then when you look down at the twos and the three seeds in that region, I think Colorado could easily sneak past them too. Uh, in terms of lower than the five seed, I would say BYU because of how how close they played Gonzaga. I feel like they're going to be a little disappointed coming off that loss, but they might be able to turn that into some motivation. And I think Texas Tech is the other one because Bingo. Arkansas is very offensive-centric, but I think Texas Tech has enough shot-making and very good defensive play that they could easily get into the Sweet 16, and from then on, I think they'd be a hard, hard matchup for Ohio State. And from there, look, Texas Tech has played Baylor this season a few times. You know those teams from your conference well. I say when you have teams playing each other in the NCAA tournament from the same conference, I feel like always the upset team always tends to win just because the the higher-seeded team probably smacked them around a few too many times in the regular season. Yeah, and it's uh, I, I said bingo for Texas Tech because that's who I circled, partly because you like these teams, particularly in the NCAA tournament, who play a style of play that if it's hard to prepare for in one day, so that second game, the yeah. the set, the second round, the fourth yeah. round, right? They're tough to prepare for. The only thing is, like you said, Baylor actually it works against them here if they were to face Baylor. So I'm I'm thinking if they don't have to face Baylor, either a because of the familiarity, maybe they get them. But I also think it works against them because Baylor is familiar with them. But Purdue could knock off Baylor, and I don't know if Purdue, even though they got a great coach in Matt Painter, that they can prepare one day for Texas Tech. I like don't. I, I don't think they could either. But I would also say I kind of neglected them. But I would like to throw in USC to the hat from the six seeds because of Kansas, and because but I they did get past Gonzaga. They would have to get past Gonzaga, but I do think that if you're looking for a team that will probably get to the point where they have the opportunity, I think Texas Tech is less likely to have the opportunity in the first place, whereas USC is very likely to have the opportunity. But I don't I don't know if they get past Iowa or Gonzaga, but I think you can book them for the Sweet 16 pretty easily, especially if McCormick can't rejoin Kansas. Yeah, actually, I liked USC as if you told me to pick a, a 5 or a 6 or a higher-seeded team to get to the Elite 8. Because I do think Mobley can neutralize Luca Garza, right? And yep. they, they can yep. beat Iowa in that six-two matchup. I just don't see them getting past Gonzaga. But yeah, let's move on. Um, the champion of the NCAA tournament has been from east of the Mississippi River every year since Kansas won in two thousand and eight. Will the curse be broken this year by Gonzaga, Baylor, Kansas, Texas, somebody else, or nobody? 
This one's a tough one. Um, I think there's a 50-50 chance in it, and here's why. I think you you have half of the one seed line and you have half of the three seeds here. If you also have Houston there as a two seed and you also have Iowa there. So you have half of all the top three seeds from west of the Mississippi. However, if you look at the other half of those seed lines, maybe not in Michigan's case, but I think Illinois. I've, I've picked Illinois in my objective picks to win the title because they are playing so well right now and they have everything that I talked about the experienced guard and the experienced center. They have that to the max, as good as you can get with Iota Sumu and Kofi Coburn. Um, it's really down to can Gonzaga or Baylor beat the other one seeds or whoever comes out of it. It is possible that we have an all-West Coast, or maybe not West Coast exactly, but all-West of the Mississippi Final Four, too. I think you could see Houston. I think you could see Houston, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Texas easily all in the Final Four. I think that is very possible. As I said, you could even see Colorado making a run there. It is very possible that the that the curse is broken this year, but I'm going to go with 50-50 shot, and I'm going to pick Illinois to win the title. And since I have Illinois winning the title, I can't say that the curse will be broken. All right. Uh, finally, you said on a past podcast that since the founding of Ken Palm in 2002, only one NCAA champion wasn't in the top 20 in offensive and defensive efficiency. That was 2014 UConn who had a huge Cinderella run, winning the tournament as a seventh seed. This year, if that logic and metric applies, it means the national champion has to be either Gonzaga, who's number one in Ken Palm, Michigan, who's number two in Ken Palm, of all these teams being in the top 20 each, Illinois, who's number three in Ken Palm, or Houston, who is number six overall in Ken Palm, and all of them being in the top 20 in both offense and defense. Does it hold true to form this year? I think this one is more likely to hold true than the East of the Mississippi one, I would say. Um, mostly because you have Gonzaga, who is the biggest threat for to break to to keep that stat going and to break the last one. But I do think, I also said Illinois is my champion right now, and I'm going to stick with that. So I think the trend does continue. However, I would also like to note that there's a good chance that this year is one of the first exceptions to that. Because there are some notable exceptions. You do have Baylor, who is actually fourth overall in Ken Palm. But they're third in offense, but 44th in defense. Iowa has the number two offense, only number two to Gonzaga. But again, they they don't play very great defense. They're only at 50 there. Um, Ohio State is fourth in offense and 79th in defense. Uh, You have Alabama, who's second in defense and 34th in offense in Michigan's region. So there are a lot of contenders who could break this trend this year. But I do think it will stay the same just because they do have the three the three one seeds. And I do think that they also have the two best teams in the tournament out of those. And I think Houston, if they could if they if they get on a run, I mean, I think it's very likely that the champion could come out of the Midwest region with Houston and Illinois there. I really think so. All right. Well, that wraps up this edition of the fourth and twenty-four podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, March twelfth, where we will have another deep dive into college basketball, specifically the NCAA tournament. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, which will be published on Thursday on our website at 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.